It's called River, mm -hmm. which I think is a terrible name for a TV show. Because? Well, it's not about a river. And it's rubbish search engine optimization because it's just such a common word. Poor Stephen King with a book called It, you know? Right. He's suffering. No one's heard of him. <laughs> if you search for It in a search engine, does Stephen King's It come top? That's a fun game. That could have been called Creepy Clown, hiding under the road or whatever it was he did. I've never watched it because it's too scary. Smashing Security, episode 273, Password Blips, and Who's Calling the Airport, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 273. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, this week... For a very good reason, we don't have a main guest on the show, do we? No, it was kind of my fault. Um, I had some technical difficulties yesterday of a incredibly mysterious and annoying order. Hmm. Uh, so after three tries, we let our guests go and we figured out the problem. So here we are and we will have our guest next week. So yeah. you'll have to just put up with the two of us for this week. Yeah. And blame me, not Graham this time. Well, well steady. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, anyway, so hopefully we'll still be able to have a good old show. Of course we're going to have a good old show. What does that mean? <laughs> um, how about we say thank you to this week's sponsors, Collide and NetFoundry. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be talking telephone numbers. Okay, and as we are celebrating World Password Day today, I'm going to be testing Graham. Uh-oh. Plus, we have a fabulous featured interview with Clint Dovaluk from NetFoundry, who's going to explain the brilliance of zero-trust networking. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chum, chum. Yes, yes. <laughs> What's that? We're back in the 1970s. What, 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 what could that be? What could that be? What could that noise be? Is it some strange kind of duck? Some bream out on the lake? No, it's a telephone, of course, isn't it? It's always hard to tell with your impressions, honestly. And what do you do, Carol, with a telephone? Uh, you answer or you ignore it if you're me. Well, in your case, yes, you completely and utterly ignore it. But the normal sociable person picks up the telephone and says, hello. How can I help you? Now, I want to talk today about telephone attacks and telephone denial of service. I'm going to take you back in time to one of my earliest blog entries. I remember when I was writing on the Sophos blog on my very own little, little blog over there in 2008. I was there sitting about four feet from you. So, Well, do you remember this? In 2008, Houston Zoo called in the FBI because their phone switchboard was being swamped. They couldn't do anything. Funnily enough, I do not remember that particular instance from 2008. It was impossible for relatives of the various animals in the zoo to get in touch what, via relatives the telephone. of the animals of the zoo? So what, li yeah. lions couldn't get in touch with lions in the zoo? Yeah, they couldn't phone in because the switchboard right. was, was completely jammed up. Right. Now, you're probably wondering why was the switchboard jammed up in April 2008 at the Houston Zoo. Well, I will tell you, because what happened was there was a mysterious spree, a spray of SMS text messages. People were receiving text messages on their mobile phone, which meant 
that the zoo was receiving 10 times more than the normal volume of calls on its switchboard. And because of the text messages were going through as kind of phone. Ah, well, no, a very sensible assumption. But no, 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 the text messages weren't being sent to the zoo. The text messages were being sent to the general public. And the text messages were telling people... To call the zoo. Well, well, <laughs> yes, yes. But not to call the zoo to ask about opening hours or how to adopt a penguin. But instead, what they were doing was responding to messages they'd received saying, hey... Someone's talking down on you. Look for them. And the message would appear to come from the number belonging to the zoo. And so people would think, who is this? And they would ring up to try and work out who it was. There was another one which says, hey, why is someone calling me and looking for you and asking where you're at and where you live? Here's the number. Tell them to stop calling me. And so people responded to this, these text messages. (sighs) By calling the number it appeared to come from. Would you respond? Would you respond to one of those? <laughs> even back in 2008, even if you squint your eyes and go back to 2008, I think I'd ignore it if I didn't recognise the number. You ignore it now, you ignore it That's then, true. That's, That's true. That's, That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But the normal, as I say, polite person might say, oh, well, I, I, someone's clearly made a mistake. I'll call them back or I'll, I'll, I'll get in touch and tell them that they've said This is the, the normal person. Houston accent, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, okay. Now, you might think, you might think that is an odd kind of attack. Uh, Yeah. What is strange is that was happening in Houston. At the same time, the switchboard of Dublin Zoo similarly reached thermal death point after 5,000 people (laughs) got a text message, at least 5,000 people, telling them to ring a number urgently, which belonged to the zoo. I have a theory. Oh, okay. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. Is it animal right activists that did this in order to um, protest against animals in captivity? It didn't really get the message across, though, to to fight animals being held in zoos, did it? I mean, it's a a nuisance. Well, it annoyed the zoos a lot. I suppose. I suppose it would have annoyed people who were planning to go to the zoo. It's an interesting theory. Okay. Um, So, in Dublin, people were receiving this text message and it said, ring this number urgently and ask for a particular person. And the people they were being asked to contact, they all had fake names, which were animal related, like Rory Lion. Oh, my God. Anna Conda, Mr. C. Lion or G. Raff. Okay, I have another theory. Okay. (laughs) Okay. The reason you're talking about this now is because the same guys that were behind this are now doing something. And at the time, they were like 13 well, and thought this was hilarious. I, I, <laughs> it's a lovely theory. And, okay, and, I'm, just, I'm just throwing them out there. Just well, throwing them out there. I, I, I can understand why you're trying to work out why am I talking about this now in 2022 or where of the year is. Either you're lazy because you were just reviewing your <laughs> illustrious career of blogging and decided to pull up on the first one or or oh my god. Or, oh yes or dot 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 yes of course <laughs> sorry I, I, that was my cue wasn't it to say there is another explanation because there is a brand new telephone denial of service taking place. Okay. Not against a zoo. But it is in Dublin. So who knows? Who knows? What's happened is this. Dublin Airport 
has a noise complaints hotline. So if you're upset with the noise which is coming in, you can ring Dublin Airport, right? Right. I'm sure all airports have that. Okay. Okay. Now, what's interesting is last year, in 2021, Dublin Airport received 13,569 complaints on its noise hotline. I have no idea if that's good or bad. I have no idea. Well, in two years, it risen from 1,500 a year to 13,569. Okay. So that's quite big. That's, that's quite a ramp up. Yeah. It's quite a ramp. It's like, why, why would that number be so much bigger? And the reason why that number is so much bigger is that more than 12,000 of those telephone complaints last year came from the same person. <laughs> person or bot? One single person. An individual. An individual living in Ongard, northwest Dublin. Who has dialed called, the number. Has called, he's probably got it on speed dial, Crow. Has called. Oh, right. The Dublin <laughs> Airport <I was> noise <laughs> complaints line. 12,273 times in 2021. <laughs> okay, so he... He is behind <laughs> nine out of every ten of all aircraft noise complaints at Dublin, this one person. He, on average, is ringing that hotline 34 times per day. You know, okay, I'm going to defend this guy. <laughs> okay, right? okay, come on, let's hear Ready? it. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, the noise is driving him mad. How far have you have you I done any recon on how far he is from the airport? I'm not sure. We we don't know his precise address. His identity has not been revealed by the Irish Independent. Sure, sure. But is he close enough for the noise to actually bug him? Like in terms of the town, if, well, you, if you do a map recon, I think we can assume he's rather bugged by the noise. Yes, <laughs> the fact that he's making 34 complaints every well, day. Well, no, he could be a, he could be a disgruntled ex employee who may li- maybe lives 50 miles away and. Is just going redial, redial, redial. Sorry, redial. I, I, I think you may have misunderstood something. Last what? year he rang twelve thousand two hundred seventy-three every single day, including Sundays, including bank holidays, including Christmas Day. And this is during one whole year. Times that's <laughs> yes, that's just in one year. The previous year he rang six thousand two hundred twenty-seven times. That was in twenty twenty. So he's really ramped up. Okay, I'm working out his daily uh, call rate here. So he would ring 32 times a day, 33. 34, 34. Yeah, round about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's doable. Well. No, and when he rings, does he hang up or does he, he he says something? Crow, these are lodged complaints. Don't forget, when you make a complaint, there's someone who processes that complaint at the other end. The yeah. phone is ringing. Remember, and this is during waking hours, one assumes, right? It, I mean, this guy must sleep at some point. Let's assume he sleeps for, or at least tries to sleep for maybe six or seven hours a day. Yeah, I've just worked it out. Yeah. So if each call took him five minutes to do, that's fair, right? Five minutes, you know, to log with complaint. To have a complaint, you'd have to leave your name and address and contact details, wouldn't you? Right. And say, you know, say what your complaint is. Right. And then you divide it, right, for a day. He is working, uh, he's working almost seven hours a day on this. It's, it's, it's an occupation. You know, what's his phone bill like? How many people are Dublin Airport? There must be, if you go for a job interview at Dublin Airport in the noise complaints department, 
You as have a job of, for life. As part of the induction. Until this guy goes, <laughs> until he until he passes or moves on to someone else, you're you're sorted, I think. They're going to say, oh, by the way, by the way, they say, um, you're probably going to learn about Steve pretty soon. <laughs> there he is. You've got a special hotline, like Commissioner Gordon of the bat phone of the complaint coming through. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the more calls that are coming in, that's going to prevent other people calling in with complaints. Possibly. Well, maybe that's also useful as well. <laughs> right? Maybe maybe there's not much the complaints people can do about the noise of the planes. Right? Maybe it turns out. Well, maybe maybe Steve, or whatever his name is, maybe he could move. Do you uh-huh. think he deliberately moved there because he likes complaining? And he realized he was under the flight path. And he thought, right, I've got my retirement sorted out. I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm not going to be sucking on Werther's originals. We're doing crosswords. I'm how old be- is it? We don't know how old this guy is. We don't know. I'm just assuming. I'm just assuming it's someone with a lot of time on his hands. Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, or maybe he has a very boring job where, you know, maybe he's, a, maybe he is a complaints department where no one's complaining. <laughs> so he's making use of his time. Oh, you think he's calling from the office? Maybe. So he probably isn't calling on Christmas Day and Saturdays and Sundays and bank holidays. Yeah. That's an even greater effort, isn't it? Yeah. It turns out I think my math was way wrong. I think it works out to about three hours a day. It was difficult doing the math whilst listening to you. Fascinating story. Yeah. Well, all I'm saying is denial of service tax don't just have to be via the internet. And hey, if you're out there bored with a lot of time in your hands. He hasn't got time to listen to us. No, not him. I'm saying everybody else. This is what they could do for fun. He's obviously loving it. Oh, I see. Oh, I thought you meant listen to us instead. Oh, I see. So you're saying people should just com- start Sounds complaining. Sounds like way more fun than listening to us. <laughs> Crow, what's your story for us this week? Well, mine's a little more security related. How dare you? Topic today is passwords because today marks the ninth anniversary of World Password Day. So according to Verizon, more than 60% of breaches involve the thievery of credentials. No, I think it'd be more than that. I I think it'd be more. Yes. Well, they are really good at research. So that's good that you think more. But uh, (laughs) And credentials do remain the most highly sought after data type, right? In other words, the miscreant gets their hands on a username and password, and that gets them inside somewhere. Mm. Now, six out of 10 is not insignificant, right? It's not to be poo-pooed. And the reason is that we humans at large continue to be pretty digitally hackable. In April, Lapsus attackers entered the network through a single Microsoft employee account. And soon after the breach, the thieves apparently boasted of the crime via its Telegram channel. Did you hear about what? (laughs) Did you hear about that? They um, Apparently, they started downloading Microsoft source code. But, yes. they, but they fell asleep. They got bored. <laughs> yeah, the hackers claimed they had 90% of the source code for Bing and approximately 45% of the code for Bing Maps and Cortana. And then Bing. what? Fell asleep. <laughs> or there was like these Brazilian hackers who called themselves Naughty Sec Group, who recently hacked the network of TransUnion South Africa. Mm. The group claims to have gained access to TransUnion's network through an employee's weak password. Yeah. The ransom... 15 million dollars. 
And on its website, TransUnion acknowledges that the ransomware attack and stated that 3 million South African consumers and 600,000 businesses were affected. So yeah, a single weak password, and it can be a serious game changer in a bad way. Yeah. So um, as you are uh, Mr. Computy, computer security guru, why don't we play a little game? Okay. And oh. and listeners can play at home as well. Listeners can play at home as well. Okay. You ready? Are you going to put me on the spot? Yeah, we're going to see if you know what you're talking about. Hands oh, off Lordy. keyboard. Hands off keyboard. That's uh, Hock. H-O-K. <laughs> um, question number one. Yeah. What do eight of the top 10 most common passwords have in common? So we have top 10 most common passwords out in the world. What do eight of the 10 have in common? Um. Is it that they're all lowercase? No. I bet they are all numbers. Eight of the oh. ten involve numbers. In fact, sequential numbers, all starting with one, yeah. right? And of being of varying lengths, except for number seven, which is one, 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 one. Very excellent password there. I think you'll find they are all lowercase as well. <laughs> are numbers lowercase? Well, I would say yes. Oh. Really, would you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a point to me. Question number two. What percentage of people, Graham, mm -hmm. say they rely on their memory to remember passwords? Oh, goodness me. I would think a lot. I would say 95%. I'm going to repeat the question for you. What oh. percentage of people say they rely on their memory ah. <laughs> to remember passwords. Because ah. I agree with you on that one, but the number is oh. a little bit lower. How many, how many people say they do? Yes. 5%. 53. Okay. <laughs> okay. Question number three. What percentage of people who have already been scammed mm. still have not changed their passwords? What percentage of people? 80%. They say 57%, which is still humongous. These are people that have already been scammed. Yeah, yeah. It's astonishing, isn't it? Exactly. And okay, number four, we're mm -hmm. almost there. You're doing fantastically. Well, yeah. And, kind yeah, of. zero out of three so far. So mm. <laughs> number four, a single password is used to access what number of accounts on average? All of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. Okay, um, that's a hard one. Well, what, what, a single password. Yeah, so someone has a password and they reuse it how many times for how many accounts on average? 20. No, five. No. Oh. Five. I'm sorry, I was rubbish at this, wasn't I? No, we're not even done yet. Don't oh, worry, okay, you can maybe okay. save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and finally, the National Cybercrime Security Center, the NCSC, okay, they did a study that revealed the top 20 most commonly attacked password categories, okay? Right. Can you name any of them? Maybe one in the top three. So these are categories, like I can give you an example of some at the bottom of the list to give you a hand here. Okay, yeah, just give me some of the bottom of the list, yeah. Okay, so from the bottom of the list, you might see religions, hobbies, weather, okay. drinks. All right, so let's let's say names or yes, years. Yes, number two. Number two. Years. Years is not listed. Let me just look for numbers. Uh, nope. Interesting. Um, love, 
interesting emotions is number right. four. Um, and pet names. So if you want to add those together, right? Like emotions and names. Oh, so, squelchy poops. Yeah. yeah. Love, baby, and angel are the top three <sighs> most used around the world in terms of- uh, Is the number know, one anything to do with passwords or the name of the actual company you're logging into? Number one is pet names. Uh, so all I, those little dog names and cat names and also the, the words dog and cat. Like you might have Henry the dog or Max the cat. See, I do it the other way around. I call my cat password. <laughs> but seriously, okay, so the advice, what is the advice? What do you say to people who need to get safer at password management? What do you do? Oh, you should get a password manager. Check. You should get that to generate random, unique passwords for you. You shouldn't Check. reuse your passwords. Check. Don't be a doofus. Use multi-factor authentication. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Turn on two-factor authentication. Don't use um, really short passwords. Mm. But yeah, you, use a password manager. Let that take all the pain away from you. Okay, well, I have something I want to run past you. Okay. Yeah. And you can call me a Muppet or a genius. Yeah. All right? Well, I think, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so there's an interesting campaign being run by the NCSC at the moment called Three Random Words. Yeah. Have you seen this? So the idea is rather than your password being awful, buffle, gloop, awful, buffle, gloop, random exclamation mark, three Z, Y, which you can't remember, you look around and you think, okay, I'll choose three random words like, well, Donald Trump sort of said camera, woman. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> when he said, I'm really good. Okay, I can... <laughs> I can come up with three words. I can come up with three. I can come up with words. And he just spoke, he just said exactly what was in front of him. Um, but you, but yes, you could come up with three words, you know, sort of stamp, sausage, dog, banana or something. And. But to your point, I think that's the problem with it because people say what's in front of them. So well, yes. it's going to be always curtain, desk, lamp, right? computer, shelf. And worse mug. than that, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. scale because what you eventually find is actually. Because every password should be unique, you need hundreds. Or in, in my case, I've got over 1,000 passwords for different sites and things. Yeah, you're so, unusual. Yeah. Right, but, but, you know, I think it's all right to use that sort of technique if it's a password which you have to remember. Like maybe it might be the password for your computer, as long as, it's, as, long as they're truly random. But generally, I would rather get the password manager to generate those three random words or just a whole sequence of random characters and it yes. can remember it. We, we agree with that. But let's say a listener is not into password managers. Are right. you ready for my idea? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm. So it's based on this three random words, which mm. I don't like for this, you know, because people are just going to choose what's in front of them and everyone has the same stuff in front of them. Mm. But what if you used that website called what three words? Oh. Uh-huh. So you could go there and put in a random place, like somewhere, just use Google Maps to just get a random place and then put that place in, choose a random place on the map, get those three words and use those three words. Mm. Smart or dumb? Yeah. Is there there a danger that they will choose their home or somewhere like that? Not if they're listening right now to this show. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've also got a bit of a problem with what three words. Because? Uh, they've been in quite a tangle. Maybe we can put some links in the show notes with a, cy- a security researcher called Cyber Gibbons. Mm-hmm. And it's also been reported, I think, in the Reg as well. Because <sighs> the, 
they're just a bit nasty. They're just <laughs> what? They're, they're, their algorithm is not as what three words is not quite as cool as it should be. It was your pick of the week once. Well, I you know what? Say. I, I well, since then, since then, I'm going to unpick them. You're unpicking them. I'm revoking <laughs> a pick of the week. Oh, you heard it here first. Flash news, everyone. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. So instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Sign up today by visiting smashingsecurity.com slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. Enter your email when prompted, and you will receive a free Collide goodie bag after your trial activates. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at smashingsecurity.com slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. And thanks to Collide for supporting the show. The network is dead. Long live the network. This is the tagline from our sponsor this week, NetFoundry. Protecting applications is getting more complicated. We all care about security. But man, it's hard. You see, all networks, according to NetFoundry, are insecure, period. And the zero-trust security model is the way to go. It was created with the idea of never trust, always verify. But historically, this has been seriously hard to implement. NetFoundry have created OpenZD to provide an open source, free and easy way for you to embed zero trust networking into anything. Embed SDKs inside your app, tunnelers to run on all major operating systems, or deploy an edge router for any cloud. And the best bit? No networking engineering skills required. This is something you guys definitely want to check out. Visit smashingsecurity.com forward slash netfoundry. That's N-E-T-F-O-U-N-D-R-Y. And thanks to NetFoundry for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like. It could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. My Pick of the Week this week is on the television. I've been watching television recently. Fancy that. Um, Kroll, have you ever seen the movie Truly Madly Deeply with Alan Rickman and Juliet Stevenson? Yes, but like what, was that in the 90s? Yeah, 1992, 1991. Alan Rickman gets a bit of a bad cold, dies, breaks the heart of his partner, Juliet Stevenson, but she misses him so much he comes back as a ghost. Yes. It's like the movie Ghost. With Demi Moore. But good. And Patrick Swayze. Oh, come on. No, no. Sorry. Oh, for goodness sake. Truly Madly Deep Bill is a wonderful movie. Ghost is just an aberration. Okay. 
Anyway, it was the inspiration for the TV programme I want to recommend this week. Was it? A programme called River. And they've basically stolen the central idea of Truly Madly Deeply, which is the idea of someone coming back and visiting the person who's still alive and having conversations with them. It is a police procedural drama, and it stars that uh, Swedish chap, Stellan Skarsgård, and uh-huh. Nicola Walker. If you know Nicola Walker, she's lovely. I'm trying to look it up. I think I've seen this. But... Well, it was on a few years ago. It was on BBC One, then it was on Netflix, and I've been watching it on BritBox. And the uh, policeman, the main policeman, he's suffering from guilt over a recent loss. Okay. And he's investigating a case and dead people keep coming back to him and talking to him. And is he going crazy? Is he not going crazy? It appears that he's been having these visions for quite some time, but they're sort of helping him a little bit. Are you staying awake during these shows? I have been staying awake during. Yeah, I haven't finished the whole series. I'm about halfway through, but I am definitely enjoying it. And uh, I think it's pretty good. I like it. But I've got one problem with it, which is its name. It's called River, which I Mm -hmm. think is a terrible name for a TV show. Because? Well, it's not about a river. And it's rubbish search engine optimization because it's just such a common word. I think it should be called, um, I don't know, Haunted Cop or something. Poor Stephen King with a book called It, you know? Right. He's suffering. No one's heard of him. (laughs) If you search for it in a search engine, does Stephen King's It come top? I don't know. That's a fun game. That could have been called Creepy Clown, hiding under the road or whatever it was he did. I've never watched it because it's too scary for me. But anyway, it's, it's, but you know how a lot of police shows are named after the central characters. You have Bergerac, you have Shoestring, you have Columbo, you have Inspector Frost, you have Morse. I just think, oh, guys, come on. Chill out, man. Come up with a more imaginative name. So River, I think, is a rubbish name. Plus, he's obviously Swedish. Why is his name John River? Other than that... I love when your pick of the weeks are just you ranting about ridiculously unimportant things. Other than that, it's an interesting show. And I've been watching BritBox. Maybe it's available elsewhere. I think other people might enjoy it as well. Yeah. Walk, don't run. (laughs) I haven't given away some major plot twists. I've been very good on the spoilers. River is my pick of the week. Okay. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Okay, I have to ask you a question. Are you a shoes on or shoes off household? Well, it depends where I... Oh, oh, my house. Yeah, your house. (sighs) I mean, I'm pretty free and easy about it. Right, so you're like, would you say 90% shoes on? I take my shoes off. Oh, you take your shoes off? Yeah, most of the time, yeah. But I've got wooden floors. I would feel differently about it maybe if I had carpet everywhere. Right. You know, because I just think, you know, I don't want you, you know, squashing in sheep shit all over my carpet. And what about about when you go to other people's houses? Other people's houses. I'm trying to remember what I do when I go to your house because I know you're going to pull me up on <laughs> no, this. No, I'm not going to mention it. No, you it. might. You might, Carol. You might. You might pull me up on it. I think I would normally take my shoes off. Often after I bark a sentence like, oi, Muppet, shoes off. <laughs> yes. Right? That's yes. normally what seems yes. to happen. Exactly. Well, 
My pick of the week this week is an article in The Guardian about this very topic. And it turns out that you choose inside people, or to quote the journalist Tanya Berra, scientifically gross. (laughs) I think you could just say gross. One third of the matter building up inside your home comes from outside, much of it being tracked in on the soles of shoes. Right. And these shoes, they found a high prevalence of microbiological pathogens, including like grass fertilizers, asphalt road residue, all this stuff that's very not good for us. So you see, you're killing me by coming in with your sheep shit ridden shoes. But you, but you know what? You live on a farm, for God's sake. Yes. Yeah. But listen, listen, listen. Don't you feel that you need to be exposed to some of the outside world? You need, every kid needs a little bit of dirt Not in them. Not pathogens. Well, how else are we going to become more resistant? Okay. So you're taking on the scientists. Okay. Okay, great. We've been locked down for two years and now we're being felled by all kinds of regular little sniffles. Like, ooh, you know, I'm not talking about COVID and things, but other things because we've, our resistance has probably gone down a bit, right? Because we haven't been exposed. We all need to get out there and get our nostrils down in the field and into our bodies to make us a bit tougher, perhaps. Listeners, do not listen to Graham. Read the article, make your own mind up, and stop wearing shoes indoors. It's gross. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) And it's Tara's opinion in The Guardian. So that is my pick of the week. And Graham, from now on, shoes at the door. All right. Maybe I'll do that as well. All righty. Guess what time it is. Time to listen to my chat with Clint Dovaluk from NetFoundry. Oh, yes. Today we have as our special guest, Clint Dovaluk. Did I say it correctly? Yeah, you nailed it. Awesome. So Clint is a zero trust advocate at NetFoundry, and this is a company, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say focused on revolutionizing our relationship with networking. Is that fair? I would totally agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Clint's here to talk to us about pasta as well, it turns out, but that'll all become (laughs) clear in a few minutes. So Clint, tell us about NetFoundry, what you do there, and uh, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So um, you are right. NetFoundry is absolutely trying to revolutionize the way in which uh, networks are even conceptualized. So this is a company that's founded around zero trust principles. Um, I like to say zero trust is a giant buzzword. Everybody's zero trust. You can't (laughs) throw a rock into the internet waters and not hit some company who proclaims to be zero trust. Mm -hmm. So what is zero trust at its its core? I think we should talk about that in a little bit, but, but basically this company is about zero trust. It's about not trusting your network. That's a better way of saying yeah. zero trust. Yeah. And really what we're trying to do is take that, that same core principle of zero trust and bring it into applications themselves. So let's not stop with zero trust at your network. Let's bring those zero trust principles all the way into your applications. Wow. Okay. So, and zero trust, can, how do we explain that? Yeah. So uh, a, a way back, there was a fellow that coined the term zero trust. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, really what he was going at is... Um, networks are not secure. Networks are not were not designed to be secure. They were designed to share data and to to be accessible. Like the whole idea of not trusting your network is kind of uh, kind of crazy, mm. right? You know, we started out in the dark ages with 
hubs and switches and everybody was able to see all of the packets that were traveling. And then all of a sudden that was like, Oh, that's, you know, that's neat, but maybe I only want my packets to go to a certain destination. So switches became popular. And then people were like, well, people can sniff whatever traffic is out there. Maybe I'll use secure protocols. Mm. And so we just kept layering on more and then micro segmentation came out mm. and we just kept layering more and more security into this thing called a network mm. and then fire you know, firewalls, right? Like, so all this, all this stuff was basically bolted onto the network yeah. as opposed to building security in from the start, we had to be reactionary and we had to bolt that security on afterward. And so that's what we've been doing. Kind of imagine like, you know, a, a kind of soldier wearing loads of armor and it must make you heavy and sluggish <laughs> as well, having to go through all those different bolted on security components. Yeah, if, if you uh, take a look at some of the presentations I've given, I use a slide where I show you this thing called the beast, which is the president. That's what the limo, the president of the United States drives around in. <laughs> okay. And like, if you look at that limo, it looks like a limo, mm -hmm. right? Because all of the security is built into it. It's not bolted on. Mm -hmm. And then the, to contrast that, if you've seen the movie Mad Max, <laughs> that is a, it's a car with like, you know, armor plating and spikes and all kinds of defenses that are clearly visible and clearly are afterthoughts, right? They were bolted on afterwards. So yeah, at, at here in the foundry, we'll use the terms, uh, build it in, don't bolt it on. And that means take that zero trust, put it right into your application, and then, you know, you don't even know it's there. God, it must be difficult for companies to get their heads around that because they're like, well, my whole environment is basically bolted together. So how do I make the jump? How do I start? Yeah, what a great question. I would say the, the very first hurdle people jump over is, I've already built all of that security. Isn't that good enough? Yeah. Right? Mm. And my answer to that is, well, you know, have you heard of something called log for shell? Have you heard of, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 the lapsus variants that are going around? Like landing somewhere and expanding your network reach by finding other vulnerable machines on that network happens every single day. Mm -hmm. And like even in companies that are gigantic who have lots of red team, blue team activities. Mm -hmm. So realistically, um, that amount of trust that you put on just your network has for a long time served us well. But it's probably time to start thinking about making it even more secure. You know, you think about IoT devices. Mm -hmm. think all those, th those things are getting compromised left and right, right? They're constantly vulnerable. They don't get patched. How are you going to fix those sorts of devices? Yeah, and they're plugged in everywhere as well, right? And they're, and they're plugged in everywhere. And, and who, who carves off a VLAN for their self on their home network? I mean, you know, some <laughs> people might, right? But like my mother won't. You know, because it just doesn't, it's not something that, that she would know how to do. Yeah. So if those IoT devices could have that, that whole concept of zero trust built into them, then those devices only know how to, to communicate to the, the services that they are supposed to communicate to. Mm -hmm. And when that starts happening, when, when you have firewalls and all your devices everywhere and you have no open ports, then we'll start having an even better security posture. The whole idea is to make this so difficult for an attacker that they'll move along and go someplace else. I know. I often talk about how people assume that the default settings in whatever device or anything they're plugging into the network are not necessarily the best ones for security, right? They're there for connectivity. So it comes back right. to your original point of why computers were even you know, created in the first place is to share information. So how are you doing this? Like, I know that you're a huge advocate of open source approach as well. So how does that fit in with NetFoundry? Yeah, so NetFoundry takes the open core model, which means uh, we put all of our software into the open source world. 
free open source software. It's the full version. You don't have to worry about having some sort of, you know, neutered version where you don't get any of the neat features. They're only available on the enterprise, all totally free and open source. In fact, if you could go to GitHub right now, drop a little star on github.com slash openzd slash zd and put a star on that main repository. It's right there when you pop up. That'll help us get the word out that there is this free open source software out there that creates an entire overlay network and also allows you to take an SDK because this project also deploys SDKs into your favorite language. And you could, if you were a developer like me, you can start coding a secure zero trust application right today. And there's lots of demos. There's lots of uh, samples you can find out there. So NetFoundry takes that open core approach. And then, of course, not everybody wants to have the hassle of standing up a server in the cloud, right? Right. Like, I'm one of these developers who who I, I do not like it when the quick start makes me sign into Amazon. I don't even want to <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to do that, right? So, so some people don't want to do that. And that's where NetFoundry comes in. We'll, we'll host a network for you, right? So you don't have to deal with standing up servers. You, we have a, a different UI. So the, the free ser- uh, stuff comes with a UI, but the, the, uh, the NAS stuff from NetFoundry also has a UI and it does a little bit extra stuff. It, it adds some, some secret sauce. Like you get really nice charts and, and data, really rich reports that you can get from the enterprise grade that requires things like a data lake and requires, you know, more enterprise type features. That's focusing on, you know, the businesses out there. But what about the non-businesses? So is this good for just enterprises or do smaller companies, can they take advantage of this as well? Presumably, oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I write all the quick starts so far. So, <laughs> Congratulations. Um, if you go out, <laughs> I used to do that. <laughs> I know, I know how hard and wonderful that can be, <laughs> and how much feedback you yes. get on them. Um, so, if you go out to openzd.github.io, that's the doc uh, landing page. Um, you can choose four quick starts. One of which is just don't you know let me run this entirely on my local developer machine or home network or whatever. Right? Like I want to run it on one machine, and don't get in my way. We have some Docker-based installs. So if you like Docker, Docker and Compose, you can, you can go that route. And then there's the host it yourself option, which lets you either host it on a machine in your local network or host it on a machine in the cloud. Like the, the maker space, I think OpenZD is particularly well-suited for because uh, VPS, a virtual private server, is something that lots of makers end up needing for various reasons. And, you know, you'll hear there's, and there are lots of good options in this space too. I'm not, you know, OpenZD is not the only one, but you can absolutely go and stand up all of this for free right now. If you go to YouTube and you search for OpenZD, you could find me doing it. I like I, I stand these things up all day long, and to get an entire overlay network, which you know it sounds it sounds difficult, but it really isn't. It's, it comes down to one one thing called a controller, one thing called an edge router, and and you can do that in five five minutes tops. Wow! I have to ask you a silly question: Why the pasta reference? Oh, so yeah. Uh, so if you go uh, another plug, so OpenZD is on Twitter, uh-huh. and OpenZD has a mascot because if you are an open source project and you don't have a mascot, are you really an open source project? <laughs> you have to have a mascot. <laughs> so, so we have this mascot, and he is a piece of pasta, and he looks like a piece of ziggy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, his name is Ziggy. So you can go out to Twitter and follow Open Ziggy. And Open Ziggy is uh, he, he actually tweets about CVEs and zero zero days and uh, you know makes various security type of uh, uh, tweets. He is a, a a piece of ZD because zero trust. If you take the Z and the T, it's a Z and T, 
and now it's ziti and so yeah we make lots of jokes about baking ziti and um open ziti is what you want to look for do not search for ziti (laughs) (laughs) you'll be hungry so yeah um what are some of the big pain points that someone right now is listening to this and they're looking around their network and going yeah no i could totally do this i could totally just go and do this like so one of the best one of the the absolute sweet spots for OpenZD and NetFoundry is multi-cloud. Mm. So let's say let's say that you are a SaaS vendor mm-hmm. and you have customers who are uh, running in their own data centers. They want to have control of their data, but you want to be able to monitor whatever they're doing, or you need to deploy something into their environment mm-hmm. with an open source zero trust overlay network like OpenZD, you can simply give those people a, a an appliance that they can install into their domains that are data center. And then you will have secure zero trust access into their data center. And then they can authorize whatever services they want to authorize you to have access to. So that reach um, from, from one cloud to another cloud, multi-cloud, like this whole, there's a whole new term called super cloud, right? And makes it just so easy. It's not even funny because when you're on a zero trust overlay network like OpenZD, the internet is your LAN, basically. Yeah. So, so you just have to authorize a service or, or an identity. Uh, it's all based around zero trust, which is strong identities is a core pillar of zero trust. Those strong identities are cryptographically signed documents or X509 certificates. And um, those are used to identify who you are or what device you're on more accurately, or what application you're using even more accurately. Um, and, and you can authorize that identity to do various things. So we make these applications. And, uh, you know, I'm a developer, and I've talked a lot about, you know, adding code to your app. But it's also not just for code to your app. Zero Trust is a journey. Mm-hmm. And what that means is people are not going to be able to go from, you know, trusting their network to Zero Trust application embedded solutions. Because that's like going from zero to sixty in zero seconds. Right, right. you can't do it. In a, you can't do it in the blink of an eye. It takes a bit of time right. to get there. Yeah, yeah. And um, a lot of times, what you'll do is you'll install this little thing. It's like an agent. It's like a VPN client, but it's a zero trust client mm. that is authorizing individual services on individual ports. Even so, like if you wanted to open uh, a hole into your local network. And you wanted to let your mother browse the pictures that you have on your whatever server that you're hosting, then you just give her an identity, you authorize her to browse the pictures, and then all of a sudden she can browse the pictures. So she can just go to some interesting URL and you're there. Those tunnelers are really cool too because they have a, a superpower that uh is is I think really neat. Private DNS, and not only private DNS, but like private authorized DNS. What you can do is you can create your own DNS name. Just, just materialize it out of thin air, and it'll it will be resolvable while you have that zero trust network on. Oh wow! Oh yeah, it's really neat. An example I like to use is like, um, you know, HTTP dot ZT dot ZT is not a valid top level domain, which means it doesn't exist. Nobody on the world can get to HTTP dot ZT except you could if you define that service, right? And that's, that is really neat because now your DNS doesn't even go out to your ISP. It just simply sits, that request will sit local to your computer and your network will be the only thing that even knows that you tried to access that service. And then it'll, it'll get synthesized into port 443 or whatever port you want to use if it's not 443. Huh. OpenZD will synthesize that. It's really neat. Wow. Clint, this has been a huge wealth of information. Is there anything that you'd like to add? 
Yeah, yeah. So like, um, I'd, I'd really love it if people would go to that open source project. If you think this is really neat, give us that star, github.com slash openzd slash zd. That's really important. Uh, it helps developers get the word out. Um, you can watch me on YouTube every Friday. Well, most Fridays I do a ZD TV where you can learn something interesting about Zero Trust and OpenZD. Uh, we got a bunch of socials, uh, OpenZiggy on Twitter. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not just, it's for everybody. It's for CEOs. It's for makers. Uh, OpenZD is free and open source. You can get it and install it today. And if you don't want to bother, then get it from NetFoundry. Wow. Perfect. And Clint Dovaluk, Zero Trust Advocate at NetFoundry. And thank you so much for talking to us. It's kind of blown my mind, to be honest. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to be here. It's been nice to have you. And listeners, of course, Clint shared loads of resources during this chat with us. Um, but you can also go to smashingsecurity.com forward slash NetFoundry and you'll see everything you need there. Oh, very interesting, Carol. Well, good stuff. And that just about wraps up the show for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and Nasdaq have a G. And we also have a Reddit subreddit. Go and find Smash Insecurity up there. Don't forget to never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favorite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please do that as well. We really love those. And massive thank you to our episode sponsors, NetFoundry and Collide, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to all of them that this show is free. For episode show notes and sponsorship information and guest lists and the entire back catalog of more than 272 episodes, check out Smashing Security Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. I miss having a guest, Graham. Yeah, I know, but, you know, we're in a hurry. I've got to go to a dentist. That's going to be scary. Wait for the dentist and myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting you ready. 